Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. I'm very excited for you to meet my new friend, Sally, tonight. And just like some of our other episodes, our speaker this evening is here because of a previous Story Night speaker. So I got to meet and get connected with Sally because of Lucetta. And many of you got to attend Lucetta's live Story Night event. Some of you have heard her on episode two as she and a few others sort of debriefed the process of being a story night speaker. And when I reached out to her to see if she had any other ladies in her life that might be a good fit for story night, she did not hesitate to send me Sally's contact info. And we've just had so much fun getting connected. And Sally also has a heart really for other people's stories and With that introduction, I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about herself, who she is and what she's doing right now, and then we'll dig into her past. So Sally, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And please tell the listeners a little bit about you. I would love to. And thank you for having me. I, my name is Sally McNamara Ivy, and a lot of people in my close inner circle know me as Sally's Diaries. For, I would say, the last 38 years, I have been collecting, researching, and reading other people's diaries. And a lot of the reason for that has a lot to do with my past. If I would look, if I can see hindsight right now, as far as the Lord's concerned, I could just see threads woven through my life of how he brought me to the moment I am now and brought me through this. My passion started with writing my own journal when I was 10 years old. Then I got my great-grandmother's journal. Her son was killed on the USS Cyclops in the Bermuda Triangle. It was during World War I, and the ship and the men were never found. And then you fast forward to 1931, and the Gold Star Mothers, which was a part of what she was a part of, the group, would took a trip to Europe and to pay tribute to all their sons and husbands that were lost on that ship. And so I got her diary. But I would say the most profound reason why I read other people's diaries is when I was 13 years old, my father had killed himself. He and my mother divorced when I was three years old. It was a very difficult divorce. He lived in Boise. We had moved to Oregon, and he couldn't see us much. And one thing led to another, and we found out that he had killed himself. And so... The eve of that, his sister, Sally, my namesake, she put all of his things in a trunk, which weren't very many. And she said there were so many secrets in his past life. And she was so upset about what had happened. She put all these things in a trunk, said they'll never be opened again. And it stayed that way for 40 years. And we've never found the trunk. She has since passed away. And I thought, I don't want that to happen to other people's things. That's kind of one of the reasons I've decided to do what I do with Sally's Diary. So I imagine quite a few listeners right now are already kind of on the edge of their seats going, there's so much to your story already, just in that little introduction. And what an amazing tribute to your dad. And what an amazing thing to use something so tragic and let let something wonderful come out of it. 
love the way you put that, a tribute. I've never thought of it in that way. I really haven't. It, it, it is because I have read probably between eight and 10,000 diaries in the span of what I've been doing. And one thing I have learned is that we all have a story. We all have a good story and we all have a story that needs to be shared. I mean, it because you aren't alone. You, whether it's grief, joy, no matter what it is, we are not alone in this world. That other people, when you hear their stories, you go, oh my goodness, because there's three diaries that I have that are grief diaries, I call them. One's from 1762, and it's about a reverend who lost his wife. Deep, deep entries about the loss of his wife. And you fast forward to 1927, and there's a, it's my other grief diary of a man who lost his wife after she had given birth to their child, and then the child also died. And then in 2008, I my husband was killed, and I became a widow. And it's at that point I picked up a diary and wrote 12 of them in the span of two years. And all three of those diaries, there is a common thread. And as I would read them, I would go, oh, my goodness, I felt that way. I, I'm not alone. So it has just been so fulfilling to me and such a blessing and a blessing that I believe the Lord has put into my life to be able to do. You know, I I feel like in some ways we've just sort of watched the trailer of your life movie and it's been packed with big events. So I'm hoping that, that we can kind of rewind the tape and sort of hear a little bit more about each of these huge events. But more than just talking about the hard stuff, also, where was the hope in it? Where was God in it? How did you get through? It's easy to hear your voice right now and, and hear just the strength and the confidence and, oh, I you know mentioned this, this really big tragedy, but here's what I'm doing with it. And you sound so steady and so healed. But I imagine that that healing and steadiness and confidence and hope didn't come overnight and that, that there's a process with all of that, which hopefully is encouraging to listeners who aren't there yet. If you just kind of can walk us through a little bit of your life from your, you know, childhood on and what you experienced and and how you got through it. Well, I was born in Boise, Idaho in 1957. I have two sisters. I only had one sister then at the point where my mother remarried after her divorce. I, again, they divorced at the age of three. My father owned a bar called the Western Bar. I remember always going into his bar when you could then. And we'd go in the back room and dance, my sister and I, on tables to Beatles songs. I do remember from those brief moments that I had with him and seeing little pictures here and there that I had a deep love for my father, one that I wished could have just, I could have experienced more of. One profound night, I remember when we were able to stay with him after the divorce, my sister and I were both sleeping in his bed, and he kneeled at our bedside and just started crying his eyes out, telling us how much he loved us. And I was awake, and I I knew he thought I was asleep, and it, it scared me in a sense, but then I also felt this pity and this great love from him. Then you fast forward, we had a divorce. My mother took care of us. She was a good mother. She remarried a man, Ralph, and he was a godsend because, as you can imagine, a teenager being raised by a single mother, 
I went kind of one way, my sister kind of went another. And so Ralph was kind of the stability in our family. Then at 13, I heard at the dinner table that my father, my it wasn't known then that he had killed himself or it wasn't said. And we have later found out when we were or more in our 20s and 30s that my father had killed himself. But we did not go to the funeral. There was no closure. And I believe from then on, things took a different turn for me. I developed this self-talk to heal myself. And I know now it was like talking to God. I didn't really have a relationship with the Lord at that time. But there was this, in order to get through this dysfunctional life that I was going through, I developed a talk to tell myself, you are okay. Don't worry about this. Everything's going to be fine. And I was, I knew I was talking to someone. I know now it was the Lord, but it was, it was literally the only way that I could get through some things because around the same year when I was 13 or when he killed himself was the year um, I was raped. And so there was so much going on in my life as a teenager, young adult, a young woman. So this self-talk, it, it goes throughout my life now. It is like, and only now when I do it, it's talking to the Lord. It's like he's my best friend. It's like walking with him. It's not just kneeling in my, by my bedside in prayer. It's a constant talking to him. And I've realized it strengthens. It's like a relationship. It's truly a relationship with him. I think it's incredible how God's always with everybody. And that shows up in different ways and it's amazing that even as a young girl going through so much trauma that you really, in some ways, had a relationship with him, even though you didn't know it, that he was there kind of reminds me of the the Footprints poem. A lot of people are, I know, very familiar with that. But for anyone who's not, there's this beautiful poem written that essentially – the point of it is that, you know, this this person is looking back over his life and sees two sets of footprints, and it's his footprints and God's footprints. And, and during the hardest parts of his life, he only sees one set of footprints. And at first, thinks of that as God has abandoned him. Like, oh, during these hardest times, why was I walking by myself? Why do I only see one set of footprints? Only to hear God explain to him that, no, 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 no. When it was the hardest time of your life, I was carrying you. That's why there's only one set of footprints. In many ways, I can just imagine that that's what God was doing for you. And here you are at such a young, vulnerable age, really, and experiencing not just one trauma, but multiple traumas, but found a way to talk and realized later that you were really talking to God. Did you ever hear anything back? Hindsight, I. I now know I did, because in that moment of my life, I really didn't have anybody to go to. My father was, my stepfather was busy working in on the road. My mother was another issue. She had some things going on. So I really didn't have anybody to go to. And the different paths that he led me down, the different decisions that I made, the different people he would put into my life, especially moving forward, 
it's just like you're, you're right with the footprint. You don't know sometimes people when you when I, I did not know about that true relationship, you know, with Jesus Christ. But he was he was coming after me. He was right there going, I've got you. I, I want you. You know, I, it was I could see this in my own diary entries. You know, I would go, is there a God out there? If he is, I would start saying, OK, Lord, if if you're out there, you know, how do I deal with this? What should I do about this? You know, and so it was, he was still a little separate in my world. I still talked to him. But again, hindsight, because I moved on. I went to college at Blue Mountain Community College. I had a job as a waitress. And where I was waitressing was a bar. A band was playing in the bar. And I met this man who was a rock musician. And he had asked me to quit my job, quit college, and go on the road with him. I did quit everything. I went on the road with him. I was married to this man for 14 years. He gave me two of the most precious children. He is one amazing man right now, and he's remarried. He's gone through terrible leukemia, cancer, a survivor. But our marriage was very hard to explain without really saying, but being married to a musician during that time, there was a lot of other people in our lives, put it that way. And at one point after 14 years, I got to where I said, I couldn't, can't do this anymore. I can't go on with this. And so it's almost like your past, you're kind of building things up. There's things behind you, and then you add something else to it. Then you add something else. And now I had to add this to it. You know, a 14 years marriage that didn't work. Had to tell my precious children, I think who were 8 and 10, that I was divorcing their father. I could not tell them why. Uh, it wasn't the right time. And so I ended up, you know, living with my two children, raising them as a single mom, worked as a waitress in Willamina, Oregon, and then moved to Sheridan, Oregon, and it was in Sheridan, Oregon, that God literally sent an angel to my life, and his name was Kevin Ivey. It was my second husband, and truly, I always tell this to people. I know Kevin was here for many reasons, but one of them was to heal me. To, for God to work through Kevin to allow me to become the woman that God always wanted me to be. And I had, be, I had became a Christian during my first marriage at 20 years old. And there, without saying, there were a lot of things that God had to protect me from. And I see that now, that he was protecting me. So fast forward, I'm a Christian when I meet Kevin, but I am a very jealous. I had been beaten down, in not physically, but in the mental sense of not really being the kind of woman that would stand for something. It was who somebody else wanted me to be. And so when Kevin finally came into it, he was the most patient, loving. I didn't have to worry about anything as far as jealousy with him. Uh, he was just an angel sent by God at that moment. It makes me smile so much to think of how much God loved you through all of the trauma, all of the negativity, and 
at this moment in your life shows up in a way to really give you an example of who he is after you've experienced a lot of what he isn't. The way you were treated and the things that happened to you, none of those things are examples of who you are in Christ and how God sees you. So what a turnaround this must have been in this second marriage to see, oh my gosh, I'm worth this. This is how I'm seen. This is my value. This is unconditional love. It's absolutely incredible. And you are so right when you say that, because all my life through my experiences, I had this view of God. If I do the right thing, he's going to love me more. If I don't, that love's going to diminish a little bit and I have to work my way, the works. I have to work myself back into his graces, back into his level of love, because most of the people in my life work that way. And so I was always striving to get be better, striving to be closer to him. And through all this, through seeing how much he loved me, through all the good, through all the bad, through all my faults, and he was still there with the exact, I remember a pastor saying one time, it doesn't matter what you do, you cannot make God love you more. It doesn't matter what you do or you don't do. It cannot make God. He loves you. There's no measure. It's unconditional love. And when I heard that, it took the guilt away from me. It it, kind of made a, a fresh start for me. I went, oh, my goodness. I have this incredible loving father, no matter, despite everything that's gone on in my life, loves me unconditionally. Even in the future now, I can go, oh, my goodness, he loves me unconditionally. And in a way, that's exactly what Kevin did, my second husband. I mean, he was so patient with me. Like, again, he was an angel sent by God because he was the perfect man for me. And in that 14 years of our, another 14 years of our marriage, we he brought in two children. So I had four precious children. We went through some difficult times as far as he was divorced, I was divorced. You know, there was always baggage and stuff like that. But raising the children, they became best friends. It was just like I could be loud. I could be, you know, silly. I could be quiet sometimes. I could be any way that I wanted to be. And this man accepted me and loved me for who I was. And so I could see God also through him. And at that point, during our marriage, I started working at the church uh, with the youth. And then that segued into me becoming the chaplain or the pastor for the juvenile hall for 20 years. And I worked with tough kids, because I knew that I knew those kids, I knew what they were going through. And oh my, it was such a blessing not for what I gave, for what they gave me for that 20 years. I miss those kids so much. And so it's so crazy. When I was 18 years old, you were supposed to write your senior thesis, correct? And I didn't know what to write it on. And I just went, oh, I'll just write it on kids in jail, juvenile kids. And didn't know why, but I have this huge thesis about kids and their lives and um, jail and dysfunction. And fast forward to when I was 
in my 30s, I start working in the jails. I mean, it was God's hand in this, you know, and it would that it, that time in my life was probably the there were two two times that I felt God the most. And that was when I was really in jails in the cells with those kids and hearing their stories. And the other, of course, was in 2008, I got a knock on my door and there were two women at the door who had told me my husband was being lifelighted. He was in a construction accident and that I need to come with them. And they were the wives of some of the construction workers. And it's funny because two days before this, Kevin and I had gone to the softball field. He plays baseball. He loved playing softball. And we had never spoken of death really that much before. And two days before, he turned to me on the way home and he said, if something happens to me, if I die, you tell me you're going to be okay. And I looked at or I looked at him and I went, I don't want to talk about this. Why are, why are you talking about this? He goes, you tell me you're going to be okay if something happens to me. I said, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to have this conversation. He said, Sally, you have Jesus, and Jesus is going to take care of you. If I die, you tell me you're going to be okay and you're going to depend on the Lord. And he says, okay, I promise. If you die, I will depend on the Lord. And I will eventually, I said, be okay, but it's not going to happen. And two days later, the women showed up. And I rushed the, oh, the God things that happened during this time are just like unbelievable for me. I had uh, everyone, all my children were at their jobs. I had to, I wanted to drive myself, but these women said it's probably not right. I had no idea that he had passed away. I just knew he was taken to the hospital in Portland, OHSU, and I called my sister. She called her children, and her son, Adrian, who I'm so close to, he told his mom, I was on my way to the coast for a job that morning, and his boss called and said, that's not going to be, that's not the job we need to get done now. I have another job that just came up up and it's in Portland right next to OHSU. So as I drove up to that hospital without anybody being able to get there in time, he was standing outside. And I was going hindsight, I went, God provided Adrian to be there. So he's really holds a special place in my heart because being there at that moment could not have been easy for Adrian. And they took uh, me into the room and I waited and waited and waited until I, I just finally said, you have to tell me, I have to go see my husband. And that's when they told me that he had passed on. And that's when family started arriving. He had gone into a pit that they had dug and to pick up a piece of stone and to jump out of it. And they hadn't shorted up and the pit had caved in on him. We were only able to see him for a brief time, maybe five minutes because it was an investigation, you know. Uh, so my, we gathered around. The pastor came and we had prayer. Um, of course, I was beside myself because this man, I, again, was like my angel sent from God. And, I, and he was the kind of man that you never thought anything would happen to. So on the way home, my sister drove me home. On the way home from Portland, she goes, oh, my goodness, Sally. And she started 
bawling. I go, what to what? She goes, this morning I was reading in the Bible in Psalms. And it was the passage, blessed in the sight of the Lord or the death of the saints. And she started crying and praying, going, Lord, who? What's going on? What's happening? My husband didn't die. And the accident wasn't until later on that afternoon. And as she was praying, she said, Lord, I do not know who, but I must pray for them now. And I said, Sue, you have to show me this. You have to show me this when I get home. And I'm, again, distraught. I am the feelings of that grief, I can it, the darkness was so great, so great. And as we got home before everyone arrived, I looked into my Bible. And I remember five years earlier writing by that verse, our pastor had spoken, and it was about how precious, how precious in the sight of the Lord are those precious children of his when they pass away. And it was so profound to me, I wrote those words beside that five years earlier with Kevin sitting beside me five years earlier. And so I went, there's just another thing from the Lord and the most profound, and I hear I keep going on, but the most profound one was the night before he passed away that day, he said, I think I'm going to go fly fishing. He always loved fly fishing on the Stucker river. I said, okay. And it was a beautiful, it was September 29th, beautiful fall day. And he kept hanging around and kept hanging around and he wasn't leaving. Then all of a sudden, my son, Brett, and his wife showed up. They had been on, at the Oregon coast and said, let's just, they just, they were heading home. And they said, we're going to see Kevin and mom tomorrow, but let's just stop by today. I, Brett goes, I feel like seeing them. So he stopped, they stopped by. We had the most precious visit with them. After they left, I said, you know, you're going to have to go get fishing before, you know. And so he goes. Finally, leaves for them stucco, which was 45 minutes from our house. I never expect him home until dark because he would not leave the river ever until that fly could not be seen on that water anymore. All of a sudden, a few hours later, he shows up. And when he shows up, um, you know, I loved him so much that anytime he surprised me, it would just give me butterflies. And I ran down. I went, what are you doing home? You're not supposed to be home yet. And he goes, I was standing on the river and I just felt like you're done. It's time to be home. And so I thought, I'm going to go home and see my wife. So he comes in the house. I was making, I remember making taco salad. I said, okay, I'm going to go and finish, finish dinner. And I said, I'm so excited you're home. That day, I was so excited. I kept telling him I, how much I love him. And how excited I was, more than I've ever said before in my life. And I went into the kitchen and I looked up to God, not knowing the next day I would not have him. And I said, what's going on? And I wasn't saying this thinking he was dying. I just kept going, Lord, why do I feel this intense love? This That's more than I can even explain, which it was the Holy Spirit. I said, Whatever it is, I thank you for it. And so with my sister sitting there on the couch, after I got home from the hospital, I went, that was God giving me the chance to tell him I love him and goodbye. And I'm going, what a gift from my Lord. 
from my father. It's the best gift I've ever had in my life. So there was, and there was so many moments after that. So it's really the hand of God, the presence of God was, I don't know how I would have done it without him. I love hearing you use the word gift, that it was a gift from God. Very often we look at the tragedy and we blame God and we're angry at him. And it's not to say that you didn't have grief or, or maybe even anger or all of the other emotions, but in the midst of all of that, to see the beauty in the story and to see the gift and to see the blessing, to recognize that, that doesn't necessarily come super easy for everybody. I remember yelling and saying, Lord, I just don't understand. I know your ways are not my ways. My ways are not yours. But I never, never wanted to separate myself from him because I knew that God had the answers. I knew he had the peace. I knew he had the comfort. I knew he had the strength when I had absolutely no strength. I didn't even want to go on. I remember that. And so, yes, there was anger. There was, should I just go and be with Kevin? There was, how do I put one foot outside this bed? I mean, my daughter, my precious daughter slept with me probably for months after that. And the precious thing, I just sit and listen to me moan and cry. And But yet there was never, ever a desire to separate myself from the Lord because he has everything we need, no matter how deep and dark. And it was dark. You know, the old, um, yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. I stopped it at that point. I didn't go, I will fear no evil. It stopped for me during that grief at that, that right there. I said, I'm in that valley. I'm in that valley, Lord. Get me out of this valley. And so knowing or separating myself from God, the Almighty, who kept giving me gift after gift after gift and knew what was going to happen. It's like it's like that night before Kevin died, he came to me and God says, I'm going to take your husband. He's going to come be with me. What would you like? I would go, no, you're not. I don't want you to take him. Please don't. I would beg and I would beg and I would beg. And then he finally said, I have to, Sally, at this time, what would you like? And I would say, let me say goodbye. And let me see how much I loved him. And God knew my heart. And he gave me that gift. Which he will for everyone that loves him. He, that, that's why it's that personal relationship. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so important. It's a gift that keeps on. It keeps going. Especially where I'm at right now in my life. I mean, it's absolutely unreal. Well, let me ask you a little bit about that. How you got from that deep, dark pit, that valley, to to where you are now, what what sort of steps were taken or what did people do for you or what what did you do yourself? What happened in your life? Because the way you're talking right now, you, you are not in the valley right now. Oh, no. I was surrounded, number one, by four amazing children who loved the Lord. My friends and my family, too. Oh, my goodness. The people, Lucetta, you know, I mean, they're just our pastors, the people of the church there. I cannot say how many incredible people prayed for me and my children. 
even at the funeral, there was like, I think, 800 plus people at the Church on the Hill. And the people that came to me and the cards and the testimonies they gave, Kevin's family. I mean, it was, it was beyond. And so with leaning on so many people, leaning on my children, of course, leaning on the Lord slowly, but surely. And there were, I would say that first two to three years were the darkest where I know I cried every day. It was baby steps, really minute, small baby steps. It's scripture. There's one book I have that was so incredible. It was a, it's a Christian book given out by, I think, a church back east, and it's a little pamphlet type booklet about not just steps and grace, because we all go through those steps totally differently, and we may not even go through some, and we may add some. So grieving is so personal to everyone between you and the Lord and your, your grief. But this precious book was amazing to me. And of course, the Bible and verses, I could not get enough. And God was just kept speaking and reading other people's diaries. It was so fulfilling to me. I was reading not just about grief, but reading about their joy, reading about their secrets, not in a bad way. I mean, I respect every family that I read. I I treat them with the utmost respect. But having something to grab onto that made me happy, that filled up my time. So slowly but surely, I went on and I say, I I was a widow for 10 years, did not date. I spent time with my children. I renovated my home to get it ready to sell because at one point I thought, well, I don't need this big house. I had my Sally's diaries and was reading other people's diaries and going to church and just my life was full. I was slowly but surely the Lord would just kept filling my life and, and the void. And at one point my son had said, Mom, and he was he's a in administration work with schools, and he said, "Mom, I'm going to be looking all over the place. They lived in McMinnville. We might find a job somewhere, you know, but um, I might be moving. I don't know." And I said, "Well, I think I'm going to move to McMinnville from Sheridan." So I picked up my house, put it on the market. It sold, and before I could pack my things, my son's house sold, and they moved to Seattle, Washington, or around Seattle, Issaquah. And I went, "Well, I haven't found a place in." McMinnville yet, maybe I'll move to Seattle. And I decided to follow my son and my two grandbabies. Came to Issaquah, still a widow, never dated. And two years ago, decided to go into a coffee shop to read Sally's diaries. And my children would always say, Mom, you have to look up. You have to look up if you're going to meet anybody. I said, I'm pretty fulfilled. I'm lonely. And I would talk to the Lord about that, being a widow, saying, Lord, I'm really lonely, but just keep filling me up if you don't wish me to, you know, I'm leaving this up to you, Lord. And two years ago, when it comes in January, I was in this coffee shop, full coffee shop. I, I come in kind of like a tornado. I don't look up. I have my computer. I have other people's diaries with me. I found one open table. I'm situating the table real quickly, setting up my diary and starting to read. And about 45 minutes in, 
this man turns to me and he goes, so what are you doing? This looks so interesting. And I just was like this and I was telling him, oh yeah, I, I read other people's diaries and I just kind of started telling him all about it. And he started talking to me and one thing led to another. And I remember going, oh my goodness, this man's handsome. Oh my goodness, what is this feeling that's coming over me? I, I, I hadn't felt it in 10 years. And one thing led to another. And I was so new to this, this world of, he goes, at the end of the conversation, I just started packing everything because I was getting too nervous. He goes, do you mind if we talk again? I said, oh, that's fine. You can get on the web and look up Sally's diaries and all my information is there. And he goes, um, well, I was thinking of some way different. And he go, I go, do you want my email address? And my kids, when I tell them this story, they're going, mom, are you kidding no, I was thinking possibly your phone number. And I go, I'll put it on my business card. I'll write it on my business card. It just shows you I just was not looking. And the Lord kept pushing him and pushing this man. He is another angel from God. It is unreal. I had a strict list for the Lord. If I am going to ever meet anybody, of course, he has to love you. But the list, Jessica, is very defined, loves reading to me out loud, loves history, funny. It was detailed. And I thought, it's going to be real hard for the Lord to put someone in my path. He met everything on that list. It was the Lord. I mean, he just, he doesn't stop. When you go through something, it doesn't mean, okay, I've used up my resources with him. He doesn't stop. He continues to give you all the gifts and support and love and everything you need, no matter what. His resources are limitless. I think because humans are limited, it's hard for us to imagine that that really what that looks like, really what that means, that limitless, because we all sort of live in this world of, well, forgiveness has a limit, love has a limit, gifts, blessings, whatever. We just, as humans, have limits. And to really understand God as a limitless God, it kind of blows our minds. But you've really experienced it firsthand over and over that not only can he forgive the things that we do wrong, you know, so when there's when there's horrible things in our life and it's kind of, you know, for lack of better words, our own fault. Mm -hmm. He has no limit to be able to forgive us. And when the bad things in our lives aren't necessarily our own fault, but the fault of, you know, other people or other situations or just that we live in a broken world with broken people, there's no limit to God's ability to heal and restore and redeem. One of the things you said, and, and it you kind of said it very quickly, but I it, it was so meaningful, the way you talked about your first husband. There are so many people who have gone through a turbulent relationship where there's been some scarring. Very, very, very easy to look back at that person with anger, with, with bitterness, or with unforgiveness. And yet, you're just really able to look at that and look at him through the eyes of Jesus and see the redemption and see the change and, and speak with love and respect over a situation that wasn't rainbows and roses. And I think 
that is, I just wanted to compliment you on that because that's such a tribute to, to God's work in you to be able to look back with that kind of attitude. So I just wondered if you had any encouragement for somebody who has a person or people in their past that either directly scarred them or indirectly scarred them. I mean, how, how do you get to that point where you can, can look at it the way you do? It took me a while. I had so many emotions when we divorced, so many emotions when he had remarried shortly after to a wonderful woman, so that helped. I figured I do not need to put my children, that I think my children, if I could think of them and what was best for them, that it was hard not to let my emotions get so angry, but it would not have done my children any good. And I also realized, again, this took a while for me, but I also realized that the Lord is also working in their life. He was working deeply in my life, and there was a lot of things that he needed to work deeply in my life, of course. But he was working in Steve's life, too. And there was darkness in his life. And bless his heart. I mean, in a way, the things that we do can either hinder God's work or allow, step back and allow God to work. And I've done plenty of things to hinder God's work and not step back. And so I thought I've got to just try desperately to do what the Lord wants me to do and step back. In fact, I had to do that with the love of my life, Kevin. I was going to church and in the youth group and doing all kinds of wonderful things. Or not wonderful things. I was, you know, assistant pastor and stuff. And I got angry at him for not going to church. And I would peel out and go to church. And I was thinking, my gosh, my, he should be at the church too. And, you know, he wasn't a strong Christian then, he said. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, oh, my goodness, Sally, what are you doing? How am I going to work in Kevin's life? You need to step back. You need to step out of my way and allow me to do the work. You don't need to do the work. The minute I stepped back from that situation, I couldn't keep my husband from church. We go so many times. It was unreal what the Lord did in his life. And so the same with Steve, you know, I needed to try again. I don't want to say I did it. There were, I didn't do real wonderful at all all the times. But I came to love him again in a different light. In Christ's light, I came to love his precious wife. And they go figure, the same month Kevin died uh, was the month Steve was diagnosed with leukemia. And so my children, their stepfather and father, they had to go through those. And I thought, Lord, this is you. You know, this is all you. You love on him as much as you. So it's stepping out of the way of the Lord and also a lot of prayer and looking at ourselves inwardly, too. Oh, my goodness. Yes. A lot of prayer. A lot, a lot of, of prayer. You said something at the very beginning of the episode, and it's something that resonates with me so much. Women are not alone in their suffering. So for the women who have suffered some of the same things you've suffered, you can speak to them in a way that maybe other people can't because you get it. 
and the words you say to them aren't cliche and they're not shallow and they're not band-aids because you have really walked the walk. So I wanted to give you that opportunity to speak to the women who are listening right now who very likely have tears running down their cheeks and have been deeply touched listening to the chapters in your life story. You know, oh, that's an amazing question, too, because I have pondered that when I think about my life, when I think about, you know, those things come up every once in a while, my memories of my childhood, you know, everything that we do now, things come up, you know, from them. And I would say that I still... Still, even when I was beaten down in who I was in my marriage with my family life as a little girl, I still was telling myself with that self-talk, you are a good person. You are amazing. You are wonderful. I was not going to allow myself to go, you're worthless. Because that kind of thought pattern, it feeds itself. And so... It was the little the talk where I was didn't realize I was talking to God before I even knew him was to help build myself up, to help make me feel worthy of who I was. And that transitioned to when I and I would see, I would try to see easier said than done, definitely. Those little tiny things that are so small, that are so amazing that we have in our lives. So as a little girl. The bird on that fence. You know, even now I get in a warm shower and I go, thank you, Lord, that this moment I have a warm shower. Or thank you, this moment that that sun feels so good on me, Lord. If And even during my deepest grief, even during the most craziest times in my first marriage, I we lived on 50 acres. I could walk in the woods. And go, these woods are created by you, God. These are so, so those little things that I kept, it's almost like they were food for the soul. I wasn't just feeding on the darkness. I was going, I am, God's light is there all the time. And so if we just look for it or just say, Lord, give me your light. Give me those little blessings that end up being huge blessings. It is what got me through as a little girl all the way through my grief and and even 10 years of being a widow and not having anyone, anyone in my life. I went, I may not have anyone. I may not ever have one, anyone. But what are those little things from God that are such blessings? And those start piling on and they start feeding your soul. And the Holy Spirit just fills you up. When God talks about the blessings, that he will pour over you. He will, no matter where you are. And just ask him. I was just asking God for everything. <laughs> I was just, I was on top. There, I, it was, I, um, I, I make a joke thinking that when I'm talking to God, it's like he's going, enough. Oh my, but he doesn't. It's just, just go after him. Chase after him for he's chasing after you and he will give you everything that you need. I love that, Sally. You made me think of so many things just as as you were speaking. And it's Thanksgiving season during this time of recording. And how appropriate that you're talking so much about 
the things to be thankful for. And very often we take for granted the multitudes of gifts and blessings we do have. I thought of the verse that essentially says, you know, don't worry about anything, but in everything with praise and thanksgiving, that's kind of that key piece. Like as we're honoring God and thanking him for what he's done, that in doing that, then we present our requests. It's, we love you. You're amazing. Thank you for all these things. And here are my needs. And that's exactly what he tells us to do. There's a sort of a formula. And for those of us who are type A people, we we like checklists and formulas and step-by-step instructions on how to do this. And with that, you kind of were talking about how to reframe your thoughts in in some ways. And at least for me, that was always something that was very hard. Like, I hear what you're saying, but how do I tangibly do that? And something that's come up in conversations, at least in in kind of my church group so often lately that seems so applicable to this conversation is that it's it's one thing to take away the negative thought or to, you know, cast out the devil, if you will. But then what do you do with that empty space? If you leave it empty, the negative, the evil, the sin, the bad, all of it just comes right back in. And this is kind of a silly analogy, but it's sort of, okay, it's one thing to cut out all of the bad processed food in your diet, but if you don't put good food in its place, you're just going to be starving and go back to all the bad food. (laughs) So sort of taking that idea with with our thoughts as well and, and filling our minds with what is pure, what is true, what's beautiful, all the things that we can be thankful for. And it really seems like you did that. And it doesn't mean that every day was perfect and easy. And it's just this fabulous linear trajectory all the way up. And sometimes we do take three steps forward and five steps back until we make it through until that healing comes. But God never abandons us in any of it. Never, never. So Sally, again, as somebody who gets it, as that woman that understands the grief that a lot of listeners are are going through. I always like to close our episodes with a prayer. It's a beautiful thing when anybody prays for you. And there's something very special. And I, I know I've said this before. There's something very special when somebody is praying for you who truly understands what you're going through. And so I'd love to invite you to pray for the women who are in the middle of or who have in their past those those deep tragedies in their lives. I would love to. Let's pray. Oh, precious Heavenly Father, you're so good. You are so amazing. Lord, you give us absolutely everything that we need, everything that we need. And right now, Heavenly Father, I am praying for the precious women who are listening the precious women, your your precious daughters who need you so desperately right now, who are maybe dealing with uh, feelings of grief, feelings of unforgiveness, hurt deep in their soul, Heavenly Father, where they will feel like walls, whatever it is, Lord, you can break through. And I, I ask, Father, that each and every one of them, that you show them those blessings, those gifts, that you fill them right now with those precious, precious things that are just specifically for them, that they know beyond the shadow of doubt, beyond anything, that it came from you. 
show them, Lord, how powerful you are, how amazing you are, and how much you love them. And you, you can conquer anything. You, Father, your love is all that they need. And I ask that you just put your arms around them and show them like you have me just how real you are and that there is nothing impossible for our precious God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Sally, for being a part of this podcast and opening your story and just being so authentic and real and for praying for our listeners. And I wanted wanted to really quick ask you to share um, as we close about your own podcast that she'll be launching very soon. And I'm, I'm so excited that, you know, we had you as a podcast guest, but you're getting ready to be a podcast host. So can you tell us quickly about that for people who might want to listen to you more than just this one episode? I, I am kind of new to this, but I've been sharing excerpts on Facebook and Instagram from these different diaries that I read for years. But the common thing that I get from people is, oh, I want to hear more. What happened to them in their life? And read more diary, you know, excerpts. And so we've decided to start a podcast called Diary Discoveries. It's very close to being launched. And I say we'll be probably launched in about a month. But I'm very excited because some of the diaries I'll be reading fully. And then some just excerpts and tell them the history and stuff. So, yeah. Tune in, I guess. I am so excited. And we'll have all the details about how you can find that in the episode note. And thank you so much again, Sally. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you were blessed and hope you tune in next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast. A ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.